Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today, I am uh, I am really pleased to have a, a, a chat with somebody who comes from my hometown, but the first time I met him was about three and a half hours from, from my home. <laughs> so uh, let me introduce Michael Finnegan. Hello there, Mr. Finnegan. Hello there, Lee. How are you? I'm absolutely tremendous, thanks. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thank you very much. So for those of people that haven't or ha- aren't aware of you, mm-hmm. who are you, where do you come from, and kind of uh, how have you ended up sitting in this yeah. seat in front of us today? Well, I was a bit like you. I was born and bred in Chorley, and I'm very, very, very proud of that. In fact, I think I'm getting more proud of it the older we get. You know, the more the more confident you become in your own skin, and yeah. let's tell people about Chorley, and you realise people have actually heard of it. So I'm very proud of that. Very proud of being a Lancastrian. Very yeah. proud of being from the north. Very proud of being English, and all those things. And um, and what what do I do? Well, it's a great word. It's an easy. It's a difficult thing to put into a word. You know, yeah. my mates are accountants and architects and doctors, and I'm not one of those, but I work with people on the psychology of excellence and what that takes either as an individual as a, or as an organization and teaching people techniques to deliver that yeah. into results, no matter what field they're in. I mean, we've worked in 27 countries around the world. We work in the private and public sector. We work with homeless people, with people coming out of jail. We work with kids. We work with doctors and nurses and police officers and fire off firefighters and yeah. the army and footballers and golfers and world champions in cricket and rugby and goodness knows what else. Um, And we have a methodology and we share those pieces of intellectual property into all sorts of areas, predominantly private sector businesses of some scale would be our main clients because they've got the deepest pockets and they're easiest to sell to and they give you big contracts. So we tend to work there. But actually what we found over the years is that the material that we teach, the intellectual property that we've developed works everywhere with everybody. How yeah. exciting is that? No, that is well exciting. So just give us a give us a flavour of some of the, uh, the the craziest places or the um, the the diverse nature of where the, the methodology Oof, has, has worked. Blimey. So, well, I mean, if you talk about the British, you know, who am I proudest of? I've got to be proudest of working with the British Army because they are going into battle. Yeah. For me and for you, aren't they? Yeah. What a selfless act that is. So I'm never so humble as when I'm stood in front of them and you're only the only person there not wearing khaki. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is just outlandish. And then, you know, another one that we work on, which is the homeless people of Manchester. I mean, you stand in front of them. And what I have to say to my team who work with them is you've got to realise when they, you walk into a room, you know, you park your BMW outside, right? And you walk in with your, you know, whatever Armani jeans on or whatever it is, right? And you go in there and they come into the room and everything they've got in the world is in the room with them. Yeah. They haven't got anything else. And that takes a lot of getting around. And then when you look forward, so we'll typically work with them for three days over, let's say, two months. When you meet them again in two months' time and you see how they have changed their lives, the results are seismic. I mean, they have just changed by such a large margin. It would, you couldn't measure it. You yeah. can't measure it. They've got jobs. 
they've got homes, things that we would take for granted, wouldn't we? Yeah. You know, they might have found a relationship, they might have got a house, they might have got a job. Come on, we take that for granted, don't we? And they've done that from nothing. So, so you know, in terms of being humbled, we, we're fortunate to have those experiences. And then you get the sublime experiences where you're working for the Ryder Cup team or you're working for Russell Crowe for his rugby team in Australia thinking we've uh-huh. just become world champions. Three years ago, we were bottom of the league. Now we're world champions. And the client who's paying the bills is Russell Crowe. Wow. So we get, you know, we're working for the Ryder Cup team. We're working uh, in, the, in the, I spent 15 years working in the Premier League for Wigan Athletic. You know, Bolton Wanderers, Everton Football Club, Manchester United, my Premier League career ended. And I decided to end it after being fired yeah. um, ceremoniously from there with Mr Moyes. And thought, you know, if you can treat a man like that, a decent man, I don't want to be a part of that industry. I'd had 15 years of being of seeing people being fairly badly treated. So you're in the maelstrom of, you know, and I'm driving around my car thinking, you know, I'm working for all these amazing people, whether they're homeless people or doctors and nurses or firefighters. Or whether it's the manager of Manchester United, the biggest sports franchise in the world, yeah, wow. has been my client. You know, how surreal is that for a kid from Chorley? You must think the same. I pinch myself sometimes and think, wow, what a story and what a journey. You know, winning the Open Championship, winning the Cricket World Cup, you know, ridiculous thing. Making a billion pounds profit for Rolls-Royce, as yeah. they would say. You know, that's serious. £1.2 billion in three years, one of our projects returned. Wow. So, that, you know, that's serious, isn't it? Oh, bloody hell, yeah. And I started off as a kid from Chorley with seven O-levels. You know, lucky to get them. Yeah. I think I bought two of them, you know. <laughs> so so, so I, how does it happen? Yeah, how, how does it happen? How, how, does, it, how does somebody for, with seven O-levels from Chorley um, end up working with some of the biggest teams in the world or biggest act, Russell Crowe and his team? And yeah. It, it, it is, it's, a, it's one hell of a story. Yeah. One, how, how, how do you do that? How did it happen? Well, yeah. I, I think I went, I mean, I, you know, like a lot of kids, I, had a, I don't know what your dream was when you were little, I wanted to be a footballer. Yeah. I became a footballer for a very famous team called Blackburn Rovers. And then I realised that not even Blackburn Rovers fans want to play for Blackburn Rovers. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I had to have a word with myself and say, Mike, you know, you have failed. You've undershot this. So there's something else that destined for you. If I had my time over again, I wouldn't do that, by the way. I'd go, I'd, I'd, I'd stick it out, right? Yeah. But, you know, I was underwhelmed by being chosen by Blackburn Rovers in the end. Um, so then went into a career in banking, which I did for 12 years. And I was, unfortunately, the curse that a lot of people have, I think, which I was reasonably good at it. Yeah. And that's a curse for people because you're not good, you're not bad enough to get fired, but you're not good enough to realise this is what I was put on the earth for. Yeah. But I was kind of unaware of that. I was blissfully earning decent money you know, being successful. And you, and your true joy in life then comes from, like my grandfather's did, and probably my father's, from outside. It comes from your family and it comes from your hobbies and it comes from relationships. And work just pays the bills for everything else, right? Yeah. So I guess I was there until I had a very fortuitous meeting with a man called Art Neiman who was sent to the UK as kind of an emissary of a man called W. Clement Stone who founded the Aon Corporation. Okay. Back to Manchester United again. He yeah. founded Aon. And I was a delegate on a training course about psychological profiling because I was going to buy it to recruit a large number of people for a client. And out of probably 16 providers that I looked at, I chose this particular system, the Walter Clark AVA system, which happens to be the first psychometric ever developed and marketed and sold as it happens. And, And for me, the first and the best of all the ones I've seen. And 
there I was as a delegate for five days to be accredited on this course. And the guy taking the course, so the old billionaire by this time was 90. He was still president of Aon, still wow. working a full job yeah. with what would be now the equivalent of $9 billion in his current account <laughs> and a gold course being built for him by Jack Nicholas. You know, this guy didn't need to work, but he worked because he loved it. Yeah. So there was him at 90. There was his emissary sent to the UK to teach us at, at 63. And I was 32. So I'm trying to demonstrate the 30-year wow. gap between yep. the three of us. And they had, between the two of them, several years earlier, decided that they were getting a bit long in the tooth and needed to find a protégé. Yep. And they had been for five years or whatever looking for a protégé. And they'd, of course, been mainly looking in North America, around Chicago or whatever, and hadn't found one. And so they came to the north of England to deliver this programme. And on the Wednesday, Neiman, the 63-year-old, the, the phoned the billionaire and said, I found him. He's here. He wasn't in Chicago, he was in Chorley. Yeah. Again, with C8, but he wasn't quite the same. I found him, uh, yeah. and I've not told him that I've found him yet, and he doesn't know that I've found him, but I have definitely found him. Yeah. And so he sent in my psychological information, my profile, and they discussed it. And the billionaire phoned him back and said, right, offer him the, offer him the, the chance. And, wow. Uh, and on the Friday afternoon, I think it was the 13th of November, 1992, I'd have to check the exact date, but I yeah. seem to remember the 13th of November. 4, 4 15, 8 p.m. <laughs> I got offered the job. Wow. What did you th What did you think then? So being in a in a banking role yeah. to then this yeah this, this crazy a million miles away from the field I was in right, yeah. um, and I just thought instantly yes yeah brilliant yes this is me this is it this is my chance to actually do what I am telling my children to do yeah which is find their true calling and I and there was me as an incongruent dad telling my kids to do it, and I wasn't doing it. I yep. was just at a job that paid the bills. I wasn't following my truth. I was a million miles away from a true calling. Thought it was to be a football and missed it, right? Yep. So I get the chance to do it, almost a second chance at the age of 32, and I think there's no way I'm missing this. I, I remember him telling me, and me thinking, is he saying what I think he's saying, really? Has he just offered me that? And I stood up and shook his hand and said, yeah, you're on. And, and, and he kind of laughed and said, listen, this isn't this big at your age with a family and two children. You might want to go and tell the, tell the missus, you know, and ask, ask her permission. And I said, leave her to me. I'll, I'll sort that out. And uh, that was a bit of an overstatement of what I had to do. But <laughs> there was no way I was missing it. You know, and, yeah. was, and with this opportunity, by the way, because it was such a great legacy and a great gift to receive, there was no salary. The training period, which he thought was going to be five or six years, there was no salary being paid. There were no, no expenses being paid. It was a it was a test. It was a vocational test. If you're not prepared to do that wow, and almost like give up all your earth and possessions and follow me, yeah. then you ain't the man we thought you were. Bloody hell. So off you come, you know, come on, bring yeah. it on. Wow, what did Mrs Finnegan say when, when you pitched that to her? Wasn't best pleased. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as she got over it now. You're a bit, uh, yeah, she has, you're a bit early for a midlife crisis, yeah. this was her reaction, you know. What are you doing? You know, most people just buy a Harley Davidson. Yeah. You're going to chuck up a very, a very successful career and you're going to start again because it's not you. And I said, love, I've got to do, I've got to do it. And she was like, oh no, I can tell you're going to do it. And yeah. Please don't mess it up, you know. Because yeah. um, we were very... Settled and very, you know, I would have, I mean, I'm thinking about myself, I'm, I'm, as, I'm, as I'm sat here with you now, I'm 59 years old. I've got the best job on the planet, I think. You've got a great one. I've got a great one. And I wouldn't swap it for anything. Yeah. You know, but if I'd have stayed at, in doing what I was doing in banking, you know, I would have been, I don't know, I'd probably been, would have been a millionaire by the time I was 35 or something. A multi-millionaire by the time I was 35 with shares yeah. in the business I was working for. I mean, I would have been seriously, seriously, extremely wealthy. Yeah. You know, it would have been eight figures. 
Bloody hell. By the time I was 35. And yeah. you turn your back on that because what? Cheryl said, what? Because it's not our destiny. <laughs> our <laughs> destiny. I said, yeah, it's not, not my destiny. I'm, I'm destined for something else. Yeah, wow. So, and, and I knew, by the way, that yeah. I was going to be amazing at this. I just knew. I don't know I knew. There's no evidence. Yeah. I just knew because I knew it was me. When you find it, you know, right? Yeah, fantastic. Don't you? You knew. Com- yeah, completely, completely. It smacks you in the eyes, doesn't it? How long was that learning period? Six years. Well, it's ne- it never... St- I mean, they, listen, the, the billionaire died in 2002. Yeah. So I had 10... You know, there was 10 years of that shadow. And Neiman died in 2017. So there was 25 years of that. Yeah. And that was fairly constant, but it was in t- it was three days a week for the first six years. Wow. And then it tailed off because it, at that point he said, listen, I can't teach you anything anymore. You have now, you, you're beyond me. Just wow. go. Brilliant. And I was like, oh my, wow, I'm 38 years old and I'm going to go. Yeah. And I still had him, as you know, he still had him to hold my hand if I, if I needed him to. And I, and I you know, I, con- I, I mean, I corresponded with him, met him on a regular basis throughout yeah. the the next whatever that was 15 years uh, 20 20 years and we were you know very 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 close but he lived in uh, in the states and i lived here and yep. uh, we were just incredibly close but it, it was that intense period at the start that set me up and he he said you will learn this faster than i ever did you will be better than we were wow and, thinking, oh, and he just he said look i knew i knew the minute i met you you were gonna, you were gonna be the one, and that you were gonna be better than us. Now, I'm not saying I mean, it's not for me to say whether it's better than them, but I know that they were golfers, right? So yeah. when I when I sent them a flag signed by Darren Clark as the Open champion, and it said on their flags, you know, I owe this to you. Wow. You, you, you know, Michael's delivered this, but yeah. he wouldn't have delivered it if you hadn't delivered him. So thank you for my Open championship. That would have been their amongst their most treasured. As, as fanatical golfers, possessions yeah. of all time, you know, so thing, things like that, it, it's, been, it's been good. I think I would have, I, I often think they were religious men, so they'll be looking down and I often think they'll be sat there with a smile on their face, you know, yeah. like Obi-Wan Kenobi and, and Yoda kind of looking down at Luke thinking the boy, the kid did all right. I'm not finished yet, by the way. I think I'm probably 10% of where I'm going to get to. Wow. Uh, that's how I feel. Yeah, I, yeah. I, ain't, I haven't repaid them yet. Yeah. Nowhere near. But I tell you what, that first 10% is looking pretty yeah. good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's no. looking good. Yeah. It's looking good, but it's not the finished article. So they, they, their, their mission, their vision yeah. was to, although they ran an insurance company, their vision was to change millions of lives for the better. Yeah. That's what they, that's all they ever spoke about. What, so think about that. It's an insurance company, and, it, and he's asking his people just to think about changing millions of lives every day. That's all you have to think about. Don't worry about anything else. It'll happen from there. It'll all stem from that, that purpose that we all share. And I said to them, well, I'll change billions of lives then. If you've given me that in your world when communication was difficult and travel was difficult, if I can't eclipse that, yeah. then that's a bad do. You know, with, with social media and air travel the way it is, I can, we can do billions now. Yeah. And I'm nowhere near. Wow. So that's a, Nowhere near. So you're, you're carrying on the legacy with this huge target to, yeah. uh, that you've set yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have the burden of having to run an insurance company with 65,000 employees, by the way, yeah. you know, which they did on the side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was their little hobby. You know, this was their way of giving back yeah. you know, to homeless people or to, or to poverty-stricken children in the States or wherever, or prisoners, you know, people coming out of prison. Yeah. So they were, doing, they were busy as well. You know, I'm just doing this. No, amazing. Amazing. So six years of, of, of learning and then continual learning after that. So six years unp- yeah. unpaid. Yeah, unpaid, um, yeah. So how do you take that learning and then, and then convince somebody to, to buy from you? Well, uh, let's, let's, first of all, you, you have immense belief in yourself. Yeah. So it's going to happen. It's, 
we, we, I call it inevitability. My, my business is called eye to eye, impossible to inevitable. What do I do? Yeah. I take people with goals that other people would say are impossible for them to achieve. And then we create a mindset of, inevit- of inevitability that just makes it happen. Yeah. It's not even, we don't even celebrate it because what was to celebrate? We knew it was going to happen. Don't celebrate that. Let's, yeah. let's set a really big goal now. Um, so so you, you, you start from there. You know, you, you know you're good. You're determined to be good. And that, when you then go and talk to people, that comes across. You know, I didn't have any clients. I didn't have any track record. Yeah. But, you know, sit in a room with me for 10 minutes. You're going to have a, you're going to have a dabble at this probably because I'm going to, you know, it's going to ooze out your pores, isn't it? I believe in what I'm doing. Yes. Um, but, but what really helped was what I did early on, I'm so grateful I did, was I shared what I was learning because I didn't know anything about the field. I shared what I was learning with my mates. I got them together you know, once every few months on a Sunday. And I said, look, folks, this is what I'm learning. And they were all saying to me, oh, my goodness, I've never, this is amazing. Everybody needs it. I don't get any of this in my, in my training. This would yeah. make such a difference to my career, blah, blah, blah. That gave me immense confidence. But one of them went, then went home from a Sunday and read an article in a, snooker, in, a, in, a, in a Sunday Times about a snooker player called Jimmy White yeah. and wrote him a letter. Saying I've spent, and he was, in his article, he was saying, I'm an alcoholic, I'm, I'm taking class A drugs, I've got testicular cancer, I'm taking Prozac for depression, I'm bankrupt, you know, I'm an addicted gambler. I mean, there were so many things you ran out of fingers trying to remember them all. Yeah. And he wrote him a letter saying, listen, I love you and I'm a fan and you need to contact my mate Michael Finnegan because he will sort you out. Now, he must have been at the bottom of the barrel to respond to that letter, mustn't he, if you think about it. Yeah. The, the guru from Chorley is going to sort my head out. I don't think so. He must have tried everything else, including the cocaine, and it hadn't worked. Yeah. So now I'm after the cocaine, aren't I? I'm the last shot, you know. And and he cut, and he, he put my phone number in his letter, and and um, and then Jimmy White, the snooker player, phoned me wow. and said, come on then, I'll have a coffee with you. It sounds like your mate's written a real sincere letter. And the day after... He asked me if I was busy. I had nothing in my diary for weeks, you <laughs> yeah. know. So I could rearrange a couple of things, like taking yeah. Cheryl to the shop, and um, and and you know, go and uh, go and see him. And we had a coffee in Isha for two hours, and he just fell in love with the concept of it and said, "Go on then, let's do it." And I remember thinking, "Do what? You know, I've only, yeah. I've only done the theory. Yeah. I haven't actually had a client yet." Yeah. And I remember saying to Cheryl, "We've got a customer. You know, okay, we found a bankrupt one. We yeah. was pleased about that." <laughs> He wasn't going to pay us anything. She said, 60 million people found a bankrupt one. That takes some doing that. Yeah, I know. But, but, she's, but you know, he, he, um, I, I'd only done the theory. And Cheryl said, like, this is a famous person. You know, this stuff had better work. This isn't a backstreet trial, is it, with someone who, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. This yeah. guy's in the public eye. He's, you know, he's a big personality. He's still a big personality today. Yeah, yeah. And then, 1998, he was massive. And... Um, and I said, yeah, well, you know, well, let's see. And I went to his house. I did it to him at his house in uh, Cobham. He lived in Cobham at the time. Right. Big house in Cobham with a swimming pool and, you know, five or six bedrooms. And I went to his house for two days and sat with him and talked to him. And he can't read and write, so it was challenging. Uh, but he understood everything and remembered everything. And um, he went from world number 50 to world number five in about two weeks. Wow. And uh, beat, he's, you know, Stephen Hendry, the world number one in the world championships, 13.7 million people watched on television. Yeah. And in the press interviews that followed, he told everybody about me. And he said, if you've got a problem with your life, I don't know how many times he said it. He said it to the Sunday Times and the Daily Telegraph and Radio 5 and everybody else. He said, uh, get in touch with this guy, Finnegan. And people started to call. So I guess what I'm saying is loads of self-belief and a bit of luck. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. But then the confidence to say, can I deal with this world? Can I, can I deal with a world class celebrity? You bet I can. Bring it on. Um, I was born ready for, you know, yeah. having that self-belief and that almost arrogant but confidence to say, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. When my mates were going, oh, what are you doing? Just start with a small one yeah. and work up to this nutcase, you know. But like, why do that? If you believe in yourself, right? Completely, why? yeah. Completely. So then, then I think the look comes, I think you send out those messages in your, in your demeanour and it's, bound, it's only a matter of time before you get one, I yeah. think. So what I would say to people is have that, you find something where you can have that self-belief and it'll come. Yeah. And it might it won't come from where you think. I mean, I never set out to work with a snooker player, come no. on. But, you know, from that came everything else. And, and what happened then was he's very well connected. He knows a lot of people. And and I, I got a phone call the day after from Darren Clark's manager and Andrew Flintoff's manager, the golfer and the cricketer. You know, six years later, we're picking up the ashes yeah. with the England cricket team. You know, all stuff Bloody like hell. that. Um, so I didn't know where it was going to come from or what it was specifically going to look like. I just knew I was going to build an amazing business that would be the best of its kind in the world. And that's what I think I've done. And I'm not done with I'm not nowhere near done yet. So it's the confidence, self-belief, and then go find it and you'll, you'll earn your luck and it'll come. And when it comes, say yes, go get it. Yeah. You don't have to have all the answers before you start. You'll find them if you believe in yourself. Go, go chase it. So take some risk, you know. Yeah. Take some risk. Say yes. Go make it happen. That's that's what I'd say. So, so you make it sound so easy. So, but but what is it that you do that gets people to believe in themselves more? Well, I think there's a lot of things. What, what, what I was privileged to do, because you remember I had six years of studying it. Right? Yeah. What I was able to do was, I was working three days a week on as a banking consultant. So I was, you know, earning earning some money to keep us going, and and that gave me the luxury of taking time to ask people what they wanted from someone like me. What did they need? What was being provided now? And so I was able to look at clients, at companies at the time, sorry, competitors, you would say, like Dale Carnegie or like Stephen Colby, people that, you know, people your listeners will have heard of, um, and say, okay, what's good about their service? What's not good about a service? Where are the the gaps? And then put together a, a plan that said, you know, what people want is they want entertaining. So they want it to be fun. So we have a great laugh yeah. when we're working together. They want it to be educational. They need to know things that they don't know. And there was a load of gaps then. So these people, I didn't feel, were doing that very well. They were entertaining, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And I, I had to really live up to some of that. But they weren't enter- educating people well. Whether that was deliberate or whether that they just, you know, in the land of the, land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, I don't know. But they weren't doing that very well. Um, then, what they also weren't doing very well, I didn't think, was equipping people with tools yeah. to make happen. When you say to people, let's get motivated, who's going to say no to that, right? They're going to say, everybody's going to say, yeah, go on. And what's the question? But how do I do that, Mike? How do I get it there? Yeah. And then when I'm there, how do I stay there when it gets tough? Well, I didn't feel these people were providing that. I felt it was really thin on the education and really thin on practical tools and techniques. And what I was doing, by the way, I was going on their program. So I'm not saying this from a distant position of an opinion, I was a client of these companies thinking, you've underwhelmed me. Yeah. You're brilliant, but you've still not delivered. I'm coming out of your program from three days or whatever, yeah. and I definitely feel inspired, and I've had a great time, yeah. but what do I do tomorrow that I wasn't doing yesterday? And that's what I couldn't answer. So entertain, educate, and inspire, obviously. Equip people, yeah. and then... Have some common sense and realise they won't get it right first time. So hold the hand. I found one organisation, and I won't name it because it was, it's globally famous, but it was a horrific experience. 
And I said to this lady, I've just been on the three-day program and I'm struggling. And she said, well, have you, have you bought the book? You had a best-selling book. I said, yeah, yeah, I brought the book. I've read it three times. Well, uh, oh, well, he's on again in Leeds. Um, why don't you go again? Wow. No, I don't want to go again. Yeah. I want to speak to somebody who can help me. So, so, you know, educate people, entertain people, equip them, and then be there when they fall over. Yeah. So when, once you're a customer of ours, if you phone me in five years' time, say, Mike, I, my wife's left me, Mike, my business is struggling, Mike, I've got cancer. I don't say, well, I'm on in Leeds in two weeks' time, get your 500 quid out and come and see me again. I say, right, let's meet for a cup. What do you need? Yeah. And, and there's no bill. Yeah. I won't even think about a bill. We're partners. You've invested in me. I'm going to be there for you when you need me. And that's what we do. So those are the things that we actually do, I think, that are, that are special and different. We, we took the time to find out what customers wanted and needed and what was being provided and where the gaps were. And then we fill those gaps. It's a, we have a lifelong relationship with our customers. And the stuff that we do really, really works. All you have to do is, is, is do it. We teach people techniques yeah. and you have to do them. And when you fall over, you're not feeling good, you phone us up. We speak to you, we get you back on the, on the wagon yeah. and off you go again. And that'll last forever. And you tell your mates how good it is and they phone me and they're the ones who pay the next bill. That's what happens. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know if that's answered your question. Yeah, no, it has, it has. Um, but I, w- I want to know more. And I, I guess... If you had to, if you could give us, because you mentioned intellectual property, methodology, and you yeah. work with people, if you, if you could give us one technique or tool that would help people, yeah, um, that they could act on and use now this minute or tomorrow morning when they wake yeah. up, what, yeah. what would that one Well, I'll tell you be? the quickest one, right? And it's not the one we teach first, it's the one we teach third. Yeah. But it works instantly, is a technique that we often refer to as snapping out. Yeah. So people think to me, right, I'm in a slump, I'm not doing well, I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad week. I once met a guy who said he was having a bad year. Yeah. It was only September, so he had three months yeah. to go, right? Um, so people get into that, don't they? They get into a bad situation. And what they feel like then is they feel like they're a million miles away from getting back to where they were. Now, the yeah. reality is they're not. They're actually only one thought away. Yeah. You're only ever one thought away from being back, which sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But it's true. And, and to get there, you have to snap out of that mood. Now, what you need to do, you need to realise you're in there and you've actually put yourself there by snapping into it in the first place. So it's not the bad thing that's happened to you. It's not the change of boss or the loss of the job that's happened to you that's put you there. Marcus Aurelius, the emperor mm-hmm. uh, of, of Rome, said in 200 AD, if something ails or bothers you, it is not the thing itself. It is the importance you attach to it. And that you have the power to change at any time. So you snap yourself into it by saying, by using a negative phrase, you'll say, oh no. Not again. Why me? You're not going to believe this. I'd, you'll use one of those phrases. Oh, no, what a nightmare. Yeah. And you'll invest so much energy in it, you'll snap out of your zone and snap into an incredibly negative place where all is doom and gloom. And you feel like it will never change. And all you have to do is to find a way to stop yourself and say, and my phrases are, grow up, sort yourself out, come on. Yeah. Finnegan, get back in there. And that releases energy. In the, and, you know, you can prove it with medical science these days. That, that, puts away, that puts away the toxic chemicals, the toxins that are alive in your nervous system. And it brings out all the endorphins that create your energy. And a, and a second later, 
you're back to where you were. So what I'd say to your listeners is try it. Next time there's a traffic jam on the motorway, yeah. on the, or your flight's delayed or whatever, you, you've missed your train, instead of wallowing in it for two hours or whatever it is, just let it go. By giving, my grandma used to call it a damn good talking to. Yeah. You need to give yourself a damn good talking to, she used to say. Now, that, that was 50 years ago, wasn't it? She yeah. used to say that. And you know what? She didn't really know she was right, and I didn't know she was right, but she was right. Yeah. Now, that is technique number three. It's a snap out. Yeah. It's, and it's as easy as that. And what's interesting about it, if you think about it, the smaller the crisis, the crisis is, the longer you wallow in it. When it's a real crisis, right, when the whole building's burning down, you don't stand there looking who's to blame and who left the fire on. Yeah. You get everybody out, right? And somebody comes up to you and says, I'm really sorry, I think it was me. I think I left my straighteners on. You don't stand there berating them for being an idiot. You say, hey, doesn't matter. Yeah. You're all right. I'm all right. We're all out of it. And you're not just saying that to try and make them feel better. You're saying that because you mean it. Because that thing is tiny compared to what could have happened. So... The disaster, unfortunately, this is why my grandma used to say it was great in the war. It wasn't great in the war, Grandma. People were dropping bombs on you, but it felt great because it brought the best out of people she lived around in her community. Yeah. And cr- a crisis does that. Now, we've got to be careful we don't make a crisis, therefore. But if you can, what I'm saying is if you can do it in a situation like that, like my grandma talking about the Second World War, if you can do it when a building's burning down and not seek recrimination, then you can do it for a small thing like a traffic jam. Yeah. Or a, or a bad boss or whatever. You can do it then. So that's the one we go to first. Yeah, no, Does that make sense yeah, or not? Is that any no, good? Yeah, no, re- yeah, really good. Really right. good. So this podcast is called Business Problem Solved. Yeah. Um, what do you think the number one business problem is currently that, that you've seen doing what, doing what you do? I think it's probably relationships. I think it starts with your relationship with self. So, you know, it, I mean, when you get on the aeroplane, they don't tell you to run around putting everyone's oxygen mask on, do they? No. They tell you to put your own on, right? And you have to put your own oxygen. You have to stop looking for excuses. You have to stop looking for reasons to be mediocre and survive or reasons to fail. And you have to realise that it's all down. It's in your hands. Destiny is in your hands. So it's relationships with others. But for me, primarily, it's your relationship with you. It's, It's gaining contact again with that higher self, with that better you, that best version of you. Because most of us calibrate our performance on where we need to be to get the minimum results that we need. And if you calibrate that against where could we be, yeah. it's a million miles. It seriously is a million miles away. There was a Marine, wasn't on the internet recently, saying he was at his mate's house and his mate did eight chin-ups. Right. And this Marine, this Navy SEAL or whatever, said, come yeah. on, you can do more than that. And his mate thought, well, go on then, I'll see if I can do 10. His mate said, no, you can do 100. We ain't leaving this room until you've done 100. And that's where I feel people are. Yeah. Eight will do. Eight will get you a better defined body or it will give you a, a satisfaction of having a good workout but your limit isn't 10 your limit's 100 and that's how people live their lives so for me the fundamental problem is a business with a thousand people has a thousand people yeah. living within their limits and yes the business is going to get the benefit of that but look at what it does to the individual it transforms them so as a leader that's what you've got to unlock you've got to unlock that potential and it's a potential of a 1,000% increase in performance, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Not a 3% increase in sales. So is there a limit, or is there no limit? Well, there must be, mustn't there? I mean, you know, if you, I mean, can we jump a, can we leap over a 10-story building? Well, not yet, you yeah. know. So there will be physical limits, but I don't think, I think those are way, those are outlandish. In real terms, in terms of where a person is to where they need, where they would like to get to, yeah. I don't think there is a limit on that. So I think within reason, like I've said there, Everybody, if you're a homeless person who we deal with, 
can you have a three-bedroom semi and a BMW 3 Series and a semi-detached house in three years' time? Yes, yeah. you can. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, completely. It's miles ahead of where people think it is. That's yes. what excites me. And I think the early part of our programme is that awakening that, like, hang on a minute. Yeah. I thought that was these things were out of reach. They're not really. So, no, it's all intents and purposes. My answer is no. Yeah, no, good, good. Um, no. So, the, f- the first time I saw you was before we would actually met. And I, I remember um, stood on the grounds at Victory Park in Chorley. And, oh, I, right. and I saw this, this huge smile walking towards me <laughs> at, at the end at the end of the game and um and and Charlie had just been defeated um and and I, and I looked I was with my dad and I was with my little boy and we, we all looked at each other going because you had your you, you looked like you were from Charlie because you're um from oh, the right. director like official a official like of Charlie right. yeah and uh, and we looked at each other and went he's really happy yeah. Um, and then a few weeks later, I came down to uh, to, to South Wales and, and walked into the oh, workshop. Wow, right. And there was the smile again. <laughs> so, so I met you before I'd met you. Um, and, and again, you had that very same smart smile again. So my question really is, uh, do you ever have a bad day? I, I used to. But, you know, when you work with these people that I've been privileged to work with, you realise a bad day is a choice, right? Yeah. So do I have a bad day? No. Do I have a bad hour? sometimes you know yeah. but you'll struggle to catch me having more than that because I've tried it and it, it's not nice yeah yeah is it and no. it doesn't help does no. it remember that that Tom Hanks film about the was it the bridge what, the bridge of spies yeah like the, Tom Hanks says to the character are you not worried about this and he said would it help and Tom Hanks says well no it wouldn't actually so I think you've got to you've got to realize it's more in your control so do I have a bad day? Well, you know, listen, if you're walking to a funeral of a mate, you ain't going to have a great day, are you? But you've got to you've got to treat it and keep it in perspective, haven't you? Yeah. And I've spoken to lots of eulogies for mates. And, you know, yeah, it's not a great day. But other than that, they're not much worse than that you come across in life, I don't think. No, correct. So keep it in perspective. Yeah. And, you know, I have bad minutes all the time. All the time. Every day I have bad minutes. Yeah. Occasionally I have a bad hour. But yeah. it's got to be a... It's got to be a a bereavement to get me to a bad day. Yeah. Okay. You know, other than that, no. Yeah. And um, as, as you know, we spoke about in the, in the past that uh, I've got I've got two young children, and uh, I think you've got a granddaughter. Yeah, two granddaughters. Two granddaughters. Yeah, two and three. Yeah. So, how old is two, or how young is too young to start understanding some of these lessons? Well, day one, day one. You know, when when my baby when listen, I I didn't know this stuff when my babies were one day old. Yeah. But I knew it when my granddaughters were one day old. Yeah. Uh, and, and literally on the first day of their life, I was the first person outside of the medical team to see my granddaughters, both of them, and, and the husband, you know. Yeah. I was the first person there. I wow. dropped everything and I was going there. Amazing. My wife said, you're absolutely mental. We'll go down next week. No, I need to be there. Hour three. Yeah. I'm there, right? And I was telling her how amazing she was, you know, saying. Brilliant. And I was telling her, you are going to be brave you're going to be strong, you're going to be confident, you're going to be loved, you're going to be supported, you're going to be clever, you're going to be determined and resilient and creative and dynamic and awesome. Wow. And I was telling her that from minute one. And, you know, I would sit by her bed. And listen, with all my kids as they got older, I would watch them sleep. Yeah. And you're going to think it's that. But I would literally whisper those things to my kids in their sleep. Oh, wow. You are amazing. You are strong. You are determined. You are resilient. You are incredible. Yeah. You have no limit. I was, and I was doing that when they were asleep, when they were like, I don't know, four years old, the young yeah. ones, you know, because I'd learned. I didn't know this stuff before. Yeah. So I have two lots of two daughters. The elder two 
were older when I learned this, you know. So yeah. I, I put it into them from the start and from granddaughters from day one. So what I'm saying to parents is do it from minute one and it repays you in space. My, my granddaughter now who's two loves a game that we play where she has to say, I have to, she has to say, I am Lily. Yeah. So she says, I am Lily. And I say, I am strong. And she says, I am strong. She's two, right? Wow. And she belts it out loud. And then, and, then she's, and then she says, I am Lily. And I says, I am brave. And she'll say, I am brave. And we'll play. This game goes on for, it must be 10 minutes. It's quite demanding because I have to think of a different yeah. word yeah. each time, you know. <laughs> but she loves that game. Now, yeah. she has no idea that she is building her core personality for the future. She's two, wow. you know. And I know you write books for children. That is building. You, you, I've read them. You're building, you're building personalities for the future. Well, that starts before memory. That starts at birth. So yeah. if you're a parent, you know, we, I, you know, talk to women. I've talked to my grandchildren when they were in the womb. Yeah. Wow. Literally. And yeah. there is evidence of, of families with dyslexia reducing levels of dyslexia in the family by talking to the child in the womb, by reading to a child in the womb. There's a 20 to 25% reduction in cases of dyslexia where, you know, where there's evidence that it's going to happen by reading to the child in the womb. We used, to, we used to play music to our children. We used to play music to our children to see if we could make them kick in the womb. And we noticed they only ever really responded to the bass notes. They didn't respond to the high notes. Yeah. But when you played the bass notes, the baby would kick. Wow. You know, so yeah. talk to them. If you're, if you're pregnant now, talk to that baby. Tell it, it is going to be amazing. And, they, and when you've got a child, tell it. And, you know, there are basic things, aren't there, in parenting? Be, be gentle with them. Be kind to them. Don't hammer them for their faults. I see lots of mums and dads hammering them for their faults. Please don't do that. And please be more lavishing in your praise for when they do things well. Yeah. And, and to, tone it down when they do things not so well. And tone it up when they do things well. And you'll get a child that will delight you. Yeah. No question. It's not complex. No, no. It's really not. No. I, so what's next for you? What's next for me? Well, yeah. we, as, as you know, we're trying to get to billions of lives. So we're trying, you know, at, at the moment, we are in the process of perfecting a version of us that's online. Um, yep. So the idea there, ultimate, will be that anyone will be able to download that at an affordable price to them yeah. anywhere on the planet. And, um, and that will be why I can change billions of lives and not millions of lives like Stone and Neiman did. So the online product for us is very important. It's going to go originally to, it's going now to big corporates. Yeah. So that's helping tremendously accelerate the, the, the impact we can have on a business. And that's working now. It will then go to the SME market. Probably later this year, it will go to the SME market. Exciting. Next year, it will go to the private consumer. So anybody will be able to buy it. And then the fourth version will be a version for children. Yeah that you can download, and, and it will be a tiny subscription by then. Yeah. And that might be nine, late 2020 or maybe 2021 when that comes. But that will be available to, to, to anyone to download. So the biggest thing on my radar now is to online my product so we can get it to everyone who wants it and needs it. That's, that's the mission, really. And if we can do that and get it into the hands of people who will look after it and, uh, and really... You know, pay homage to the great billionaire who created all this stuff in the first place. That will be job done. So definitely that. Yeah. The other project is, and I'm still, you know, big a big family man with my daughters and my grandchildren. Yeah. But the big project then, other than that, is dementia. So I'm on the the project at Lancaster University. We have a solution to dementia, wow. and we have to get it 
into clinical trial and we're very, very close to doing that now. And that will change billions of lives. Yeah. It simply will. So um, that won't be through my product, but it will yeah. be through the, my, my role in that team is to drive the commercial reality of getting it to trial and getting the fund raised, the funds raised for that to make that happen. Professor Dave Alsop, who's developed that solution, is an incredibly clever man, uh, but he's not a commercial man. He isn't driving it to trial. He's had it for 15 years. He's not driving it to trial. He's kind of done his bit, <laughs> yeah. and, and we need to get it done now. So, so that's a big part of my life, helping people do that. Yeah, amazing. And, um, and I, want my, I, want, you know, I want my name associated with that in terms of saying, yeah, you know what? I did my 1% to, to cure dementia. Yeah, Might fantastic. come in time for you and me, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fingers crossed. <laughs> fing, fing, yeah. We're about 10 years away from having it available as a drug. Right, wow. As we sit here in 2019. And, and, you know, it's shame on people that they've not got it to market sooner. But it just takes, it's a very complex drug. It takes time yeah. for the cl- clinical trials to prove that there are no side effects. We know there aren't, Yeah. but we have to prove it. And it's got to be trialled all over the world. Literally, with all generations. So you can yeah. imagine the cost of it. But um, the prize is a big one, isn't it? Of course it is, yeah. And, uh, and we're going to do that. Wow. Well, we're going to so, do that. So, so yeah. that's going to keep me busy. Oh, completely, yeah. You've got a really diverse portfolio. And, and if you think about where you were when you were age 32 to to, yeah. to where you are now at 50. 27 years, yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you imagine at that point in time that you would have done as much as you have done? Well, people often say no, don't they? But I'd be lying. I'd, I had to say yes. Brilliant. I knew, the, I knew you were going to say that. Did answer. you? Because yeah. the first thing I did was I wrote down a list of, if I am going to give up a highly paid, successful career yeah. in an internationally renowned bank where I am right at the top, why on earth would I do that? Well, I would only do it to work for Manchester United. I'd only do it to work in the Ryder Cup team. I'd only do it to win the FA, to hold the FA Cup. I'd only yeah. do it to change billions of lives. I would, otherwise, why would I bother? Yeah, completely. So I know people often say they don't, and I think they're trying to be... I think that's false humility sometimes. Yeah. And fair enough, if they do it, that's fine. Sometimes people are not setting themselves up to fail by setting goals that they feel are too big, but I wasn't scared of that. I, I, would only, I couldn't afford to do it for a little thing. I couldn't. What would be the point of that? Yeah. I couldn't say to the billionaire, I'll change 10 lives around Chorley. Yeah. You know what I mean? That ain't going to do it, is it? No, no, that's right. So, so yeah, I, knew, I did know I was going to... I didn't know specifically whether it was going to be Jimmy White or Russell Crowe. Yeah. Or, you know, I didn't know I was going to work with the Indian cricket team to win the World Cup, obviously. Yeah. But I knew I was going to win the World Cup. Yeah. I wasn't bothered who it was for. Yeah. You know, so, so yes, I did. Yeah, amazing. Otherwise, why would I do it? Don't bother. Play. Go, go big, right? There's, there's a beautiful poem by Marianne Williamson, isn't there, that's often accredited to Nelson Mandela, and it's never Mandela. It's Williamson. Read it. And, and, it, and it's called, What is Your Greatest Fear? Okay. Our greatest fear isn't that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. That's the fear. And, and who are you to play small? Your playing small does not serve the world. Yeah. You know, don't hide your light under a bushel. Let your own light shine because in shining, it unconsciously gives permission to other people to do the same. Yeah. So play big. Go do it. Stop being falsely modest. Stop setting small goals. Go change the world. Somebody has to, right? Yeah, no, amazing. So, so just, just on that point, just really quickly, um, you, you set really ambitious, massive goals. Would you have interim goals or would you just go, let's just aim for the aim for the moon and we'll land in the stars? Yeah, or... that, that depends on the individual. Yeah. So, you know, when you're teaching a child to swim, Yeah. I mean, my daughter <laughs> ran into the pool the first time with no armbands on and jumped in the deep end. It's like, hang on a minute, yeah. you're not quite there yet. Yeah. You know, the other one had two armbands on it. It took us ages to get one armband off, but that's okay, right? Because... 
two years later she was swimming. You yeah. know, so some people need small goals, don't they? And yeah. I love that. And that's important. So set the goal as far ahead as you need it to feel a stretch. Yeah. But not too far that you feel intimidated. Now, if that then means a big goal, then that's fine. Set it as a big goal. So I'm more of a big goal person. Yeah. But my team are more small goals. So they're saying, well, can, can we just get two new customers yeah. this week? <laughs> now, I can't get excited about that. No. But they can. So we let people set the goals they feel are appropriate to drive their behavior. Yeah. So we have small goals. Please don't ask me what they are. I don't know. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm on billions of lives, right? So yeah. we have a team of people who are on the small stuff, and that's great. And it's very, very important. But we let people, and they don't talk about the big one very much because it scares them. So yeah. that's fine. Don't let me leave that to me. Yeah. Is there, is there only you with the belief that you're going to get there at this point in time? And is that the reason? Yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah, because it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. But Anne Rand said one person with courage is a majority. Yeah. So one's enough. Yeah. No, right? com- yeah, completely. One's enough and one will become two. And if we, you know what, if we keep getting too many customers a week, guess what? We'll get there. Yeah. So they're will. actually the same goal. Yeah. Express differently. I don't care. Do yeah. it. Do it in the way that that's fixed for you. But I am the chief executive of the organisation, so therefore I'm the one who has to have the, the belief. I drive the strategy, right? I drive the vision. I'm. That's me. I'm in charge of that. Yeah. Um. And so I. And I. What I never do. What I have to tell clients all the time is you. What you're doing here is you are you are letting your vision be reduced in in scale by the resources you're surrounded by and by what you see and by Brexit and by the market and by the small thinking of people around you. Yeah. Well. It's okay to have the small thinking of people around you, but you do not come down to that level. You have you're still paid to be the visionary. Yeah. So we coerce that vision, and we and we you know we work with them, and and that's fine. But but you know I mean I mean I'm thinking now about a guy called Sam Allardyce who said, well I've only got a team of people who can get me 35 points in the Premier League, Bolton Wanderers. So I said, right, you are letting that team of people drive your belief in what we can achieve this season. You got it. The tail's wagging the dog. Yeah, you're not paid to let them dictate to you where we finish in league. You're paid to keep us up. Yeah. So you have to do something about that to keep us up. Now, if that means we have to lose three players or you have to have double training sessions, I'm not bothered what it is, but you're paid to maintain your belief in the vision and I'm paid to make sure that you maintain your faith in the vision. Now, we got 45 points Yeah. and we stayed up. But wow. I, I seriously think without that intervention, we would have ended up with 35 because that's where we were going. Yeah. Wow. And, and we won three of the last five games of the season, by the way, to stay up and get 45 points. So... That's the danger. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to cope with all people's goals, but you as the leader have to set the pace. The, the pace of the leader sets the pace of the pack. Yeah. So you have to lead. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. We spoke about a lot of, a lot of really good advice. Right. But what's the, what's the worst piece of advice you've been given? Think small for me. Right, yeah. Think small, like, why? You know, yeah. please, you know. And, and yeah. be realistic, you know, and keep your feet on the ground. Yeah. What, with you, where you are? Yeah. No. So that. So I would never pick, I would tell people to dare. What, what is it that Goethe says? If you can dare or, or dream, begin it. Okay. Boldness has magic, mystery and genius in it. Yeah. So, wow. so that's the worst advice I've had. Yeah. To, to, you know, think small and all that stuff. No, please don't do that. that, that the world isn't created by people who do that. Steve Jobs didn't do that. Bill Gates didn't do that. Mother Teresa didn't do that. Yeah. Think big. So the worst advice I've been given is think small. Please don't. Yeah, no, fantastic. No, yeah, re- really good. And I, I could talk to you all night. I, I, re- I really <laughs> We're could. We're going to get kicked out yeah, in a minute. No, we are, we are, yeah, you're really, really infectious personality. And I think that every time every time I've met you, I always think when I'm when I'm leaving or when I'm driving away, I'm, I'm reflecting on everything you've, you've said. And I, you, you kind of just, you just want more. You just want more for, from oh, you. Is, is that is that what you felt from, from the... Um, 
for, from your two um, yeah. mentors? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, they died, you know, 108, and, and one of them was 83, and wow. it's too soon. Yeah. They were just getting good. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're just getting good. I hate it when people say, oh, I'm going to retire at 60. Oh, no, please don't. You're just getting good. Yes, yeah, so I did feel it. And it's, a, it's been a real privilege talking to you and a real pleasure talking to you. And it's a pleasure to share this with people. And it's nice that you feel that. I want people to feel that because it's sincerely given. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you can never get enough of people like that, can you? No, no, never. no, not never, at all. Never, never, never. Not at all. No, never. I, I find just sitting in a room, I'm just, I'm smiling. Um, and so you, <laughs> you, you do you, anyway. Yeah, no, I, I do, but I'm smiling a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you, are, you are infectious in, 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 what, in, what, in what you bring. Um, so if, if people want to, to learn more from you or just yeah. find out what you're doing or get in contact, how, how can they do that? Well, you'll, you'll Google Michael Finning and there's only me and a country and western singer. Yeah. <laughs> There's not many of us, and yeah. I'm not the country and western yeah. singer. Uh, you can Google I to I, I to I HQ, impossible to inevitable, I to I HQ. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on the web. We are all over it. There's speeches and snippets and all sorts of things. Yeah. And then the team will happily take a call or respond on email or whatever. Yeah. And um, yeah, we, we, as I say, we're building a product that everybody will be able to afford if they want it and need it. Yeah, no, we'll fan- get it to you. Yeah, fantastic. No, thank you. No, no, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, so, so yeah, thank you. What are you having for your tea? Uh, something off the U and E menu. Yeah. Something off the special <laughs> menu. What should we go for? Should we spoil ourselves? Yeah, yeah. The no, answer but, is whatever we want, isn't it? Yeah, completely is. No, completely is. No, seriously though. Thank, thanks very much for your time, it's and uh, I look forward to uh, to chat with you again soon. Cheers, Lee. Thank you. Good stuff. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the business problem solver, or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.